3: Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show.
4: New York. No one wants to play in New York. Weekdays, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern on the Sports Grid Network.
1: Folks, we're going on grid.
0: This is Sports Grid.
5: Get on the grid. Frank Staffel here. We'll talk more about James Paxton coming up and what the Yankees are going to do with the fifth spot in their rotation. Matt Modica joins us at 12.30. The second hour of FSC begins right now.
1: It's fantasy sports today.
5: Welcome back to the second hour of Fantasy Sports Today. Happy Friday, everybody. Thank you for tuning in on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. No Craig Mish; He's out on assignment going to interview some Miami Marlins players. I think we're going to get some Jonathan Villar, some Jesus Aguilar audio coming our way uh, next week. So looking forward to that. But as I mentioned at the top, I did want to talk a little bit more about this James Paxton injury. Obviously, uh, we heard the news two days ago. I found out on air. Just about an hour after I drafted him, so uh, that sucked. But we also heard yesterday that Scott Boris, the agent of James Paxson, said that James Paxson could return sooner than expected. To quote Dr. Evil, right. We'll see if that can actually happen or not. Uh, we've never heard uh, player agents lie before. Uh, remember Drew Rosenhaus defending Antonio Brown in his mental state? How did that go? Drew Rosenhaus, no longer the agent of Antonio Brown. I just think it's really optimistic to think that uh, James Paxton can beat this timetable of three to four months. Again, the guy just had surgery on his spine. um, And I think this does create a buying opportunity in keeper and dynasty leagues. And I'll talk about that a little bit uh, after we get the news update here from Dan Strafford. Uh, But James Paxton, we know the talent's there. Gets a ton of strikeouts. The walks have been up the past couple of years with James Paxton, also allowing a lot more hard contact. But the one main bugaboo for Paxton has always been his injuries and his inability to stay healthy. So we'll talk about you know who is going to fill in for James Paxton while he is out, uh, and that buying opportunity in keeper and dynasty leagues. Uh, But before we we do all that, we have a news read coming up right now from Dan Strapp.
2: Sports Grid News Update.
3: A potential new manager in Boston, but someone that they know. According to Peter Abraham of the Boston Globe, the Red Sox are planning to name bench coach Ron Reneke. As manager, but are waiting for Major League Baseball to conclude its investigation into the 2018 team before making any announcement. It would seem that he will not have superstar Mookie Betts on his team, but as of right now, he has yet to be dealt. John Heyman is reporting that talks will continue throughout the day today, at least between the Red Sox and Twins. According to Heyman, there's obvious urgency here, and all three teams are motivated to complete this, quote, Mookie Mookie Mega Deal, end quote. He also notes, as did Ken Rosenthal, that movement has been slow. The result of Jock Peterson's arbitration hearing is expected today, according to Ken Rosenthal. According to his source, it will not change the terms of the Angels' deal with the Dodgers. Peterson asked for $9.5 million offered. 7.75 7.75 million by the dodgers trade is contingent though on the bets blockbuster which is not yet official steve cohen is out as a potential mets owner they're looking for new potential bidders later next week after the variety of trades in the nba on thursday's deadline there will be questions around which players in new places will suit up the miami heat most likely without jimmy butler as they welcome jay crowder andre iguodala and solomon hill to the team the boston celtics Didn't make any deadline deals, but may get back one of their stars in time for Friday's game. Kemba Walker, who's been out with left knee soreness, said that he feels, quote, much improved and thinks that he'll be cleared to play Friday night versus the Hawks. Some of the top games in the NBA Friday night, those Hawks and Celtics, it's minus nine and a half for Boston, 234 over under. Dallas is in Washington, they're minus two and a half favorites, 233 and a half over under in that one. Memphis Grizzlies visit the Philadelphia 76ers, 223 over under, with a minus five and a half favorite for Philadelphia. I'm Dan Straffer, and this has been your Sports Grid News Update.
5: Thank you, Mr. Stratford. Thank you, Mr. Bavona. And I'm also seeing this on Twitter right now. This comes according to Mark Feinsand. A source confirms the Red Sox interviewed John Gibbons for their managerial vacancy earlier this week as well. Uh, Ken Rosenthal was the first with the news. So we'll see what happens. There's a report, uh, again, from I believe it was Pete Davidson, who uh, Pete Abraham, excuse me, who said that Ron Renneke uh, will be named the manager once the MLB inv- investigation into 2018 is is concluded, uh, but now we're also hearing that John Gibbons, who is the former manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, longtime manager. He coached from 2004 to 2008 and then had a second stint where he coached from 2013 to 2018 as well. So definitely familiar with the American League East is John Gibbons. We'll see what happens there in terms of the manager position for the Boston Red Sox. I wanted to get back to James Paxton again. I think he's likely going to miss the three to four months. Uh, Scott Boris is saying that he's going to Return for the first within the first third of the season, which would put him somewhere uh, in May, I guess, is like the optimistic side of things. But the guy just had surgery on his spine, so I am not overly optimistic when it comes to James Paxton. What I wanted to bring up was in keeper or dynasty leagues, look, if you are rebuilding right now in a dynasty league and I understand James Paxton is no spring chicken He is past that 30 year old uh, threshold doesn't mean that he still can't be good we're drafting guys like Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer who are in their mid-30s uh, you know still in the first and second rounds. so uh, I think that there's a buying opportunity here in keeper and dynasty leagues if you're going through a rebuild and you can uh, get James Paxton on the super cheap right now uh, that's something that I would look into doing and also remember this When you are doing drafts this year, you always want to remember, if it's a Keeper League draft where you keep the player the following year based on his auction value or his draft value, whatever round you got him in, you always want to remember those players who are hurt so that you can draft them late this year and then keep them the next year for that suppressed value. So what I'm saying is, at the end of your draft, Take a shot on a James Paxton, stash him on your IL, your DL, whatever your league calls it, uh, and then you can reap the rewards and keep him next year uh, at a suppressed cost. The same thing in auctions. I play in a head-to-head auction league where I'm probably going to be able to get James Paxton for, I don't know, two, three bucks. I did that with Otani last year. I got him for $2. Now I have him as a – every year our auction values go up $5. So uh, in leagues like that, uh, I think that you should look at at James Paxton and consider him – with a buying opportunity uh, heading into the 2020 fantasy baseball season. But what are the New York Yankees going to do in the meantime, right? We know that Domingo Herman will not be an option because he's going to miss the first couple of months. He cannot uh, return until June because of his suspension due to uh, domestic abuse uh, late last season. But, if James Paxson's not going to return, like I think, until June, they might just hold him out till, till July, until the second half, if we're being all, all, honest. you know, it, it's Right around the all-star break wouldn't surprise me when it comes to James Paxson. There are a few candidates. They bring up Jordan Montgomery, Mike King, Jonathan Loizaga, Jonathan Lasagna, Luis Sessa, and the number one prospect in their organization, Debbie Garcia. I, I, I think that Jordan Montgomery is going to be the guy here. He worked his way back from Tommy John last year. He did pitch four innings at the end of last season, which, look, it's not a lot, obviously. He did so in relief. But I always like to see when guys are returning from injury, they return the year before. Just pitch a few innings, you know, get your arm back out there, get back on the mound, uh, get the feel back a little bit. Uh, And we did see Jordan Montgomery pitch a little bit. Remember, back in 2017, he had a decent amount of value, a 3.88 ERA. 1-2-3 1-2-3 whip. He has an above-average slider and curveball. He has good breaking pitches. He has a four-pitch mix. Decent strikeout stuff. Back in 2017, 12.2% swinging strike rate. 8.3 case per nine. So I am intrigued in Jordan Montgomery. If you're already drafted early and you drafted a James Paxton, maybe go out and add a Jordan Montgomery. Or if you're drafting right now in an NFBC draft Champions League or any type of draft-and-hold format and you can get Jordan Montgomery late in your draft, that's something that I would look into. Uh, if we're just kind of running through to the other candidates, Mike King, the 19th-ranked prospect, according to MLB.com, 24 years old, uh, didn't, did not fare well last year in the minor leagues, a 5.48 ERA, 46 innings pitched. That was between four different levels. He was great in 2018, uh, but really regressed and was not great in 2019. Jonathan Luiziga. Luiziga has some prospect pedigree. He started 44 games uh, in the minors, but since he's come up to the majors, he really has been strictly used as a reliever. And I think that's where his future is uh, as a major league pitcher because you look at what he can do. He has legit strikeout stuff, upper 90s fastball, uh, but horrible, horrible command. 4.47 4.47 walks per nine in the majors in his brief career. Uh, and last year, um, in his major league career, again, 16 relief appearances, just eight starts. So they've been grooming him to kind of be that, uh, that relief pitcher out of the pen. You know, maybe I'm not going to say he's going to be the next Dylan Betances, but someone in that mold, right, someone who throws hard, uh, has a good breaking pitch, but needs to uh, hone in on that command and uh, continue to develop in that regard. Maybe they use him as an opener, let him throw, one or two innings, and then turn it over to somebody else, like a Jordan Montgomery or a Luis Sessa who's in the mix. But come on, man. If you followed baseball, if you follow Yankee baseball, we know who Luis Sessa is. We've seen enough. A 4.50 ERA in his career, 1-3-0 whip, uh, 43 games last year. All of those came out of the bullpen. We, we know who Luis Sessa is at this point. I want nothing to do with him. Uh, I'm sure Greg Sussman, you'll hear us on the BFS later on today, wants nothing to do with Luis Sessa either. Uh, Debbie Garcia the top pitching prospect, the top prospect in the organization. Uh, he's only 20 years old, a 3.37 ERA last year, a 1-1-4 whip. He has 14, 416 strikeouts in 293.2 minor league innings. So the strikeout stuff is legit. But he did struggle in his only stint in A last year with a 5.4 ERA. Uh, he does walk a lot of batters as well. So I don't think Debbie Garcia is ready yet. Jordan Montgomery is the guy, uh, and I like buying him late in drafts right now, pitching in the Yankees uh, rotation for the first two months. All right, coming up, we have the best of Craig Mish's interviews over the past week. After that, Matt Modiga will join us here on Fantasy
1: Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow two guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.
7: Fantasy sports today. Straight ball, I hit it very much. First ball, that's our friend. Yes. Craig Mish and
0: Frank Stamfold. You got take the bats. I
7: offer him yeah, a cigar wrong.
8: And welcome back to Fantasy Sports. Today, as we always do on Friday, we let you in on some of the best interviews we've done over the past week. We start off with former big league manager Buck Showalter, who was on the program, talked about a number of different things, including his interview with the Houston Astros and where he sees the game going at this stage with all of the controversy. Buck, let's, let's get into that, if you wouldn't mind, because I'm curious your thoughts on what you'd heard uh, potentially, how your interview went with the Astros and how baseball moves forward from this. Wow, how much time you got?
9: Uh, <laughs> no he, uh, No, I uh, I got talked with Dusty. I'm excited for him. I know how much he he wanted that, and uh, I think he's perfect for the job. I'm glad to see him get the opportunity. They've got a very unique set of challenges there, and in some ways, I don't think anybody, including them, understand just how tough it's going to be. It really is. And one of the things people that you really haven't been in the arena, I don't understand sometimes is there's such a mental and emotional edge you need. I don't know whether it's the little engine that could, or the. Uh, you just need an emotional edge to a 152-game season. And that's going to be the biggest challenge is getting that back, because they're going to be the villain everywhere. And they're going to face a lot of challenges that they've never faced before. And it's going to be some uncharted territory. And I think Dusty's perfect there. Yeah, you know, I talked with him. I sat down with him. It was an honor to be asking I don't know. I think I'm like the Buffalo Bills. I finished second, I think, twice or three times this off season, And that's okay. fine. It's enough. we got really good uh, people that been hired. And I'm excited to, to get the baseball season started just to hopefully start getting some of this behind us. It's all about can you trust the game? Can you trust it, – it was like the steroid thing. It was like you know, uh, when we had the strike back when I was with the Yankees, you know, we had to get back where fans could trust the game. And that's important. And – uh, you know, I was on the competition committee. One of the things I kept saying is, you know, we're allowing tablets in the dugout. The so replay rooms are right behind the dugout. I mean, what are you, you're asking for trouble. And uh, I mean, it's not an, I told you so thing. It's just, we have to eliminate some of the temptations. You know, it's just, and unfortunately today's technical game, people have all these, you know, ways to, to, I call them shortcuts. There's a lot of people looking for shortcuts and there are no shortcuts to long-term success. And, and there's a lot of lazy work going on, quite frankly. You know, the boots on the ground have been kind of, you know, looked at differently. And uh, I don't know. There's a lot of people um, that I know that are saying, I told you so. So, unfortunately, we we got a thing we're going to have to dig out. And like I told the people in Houston, it's self-inflicted. People don't want to see you complain about it or make any excuses why it happened. You're going to have to wear it. You're going to have to wear it and you're going to have to move on. How'd you like to be a pitching coach in the American League West the last three years? That yeah. was in charge of getting your pitchers to get them out, and maybe along the way lost their job. I mean, it's uh, there's some there's some real bitterness involved here.
8: Yeah, and, and and Buck, you know there was a you know story that came out yesterday. I don't know how aware you are of the, the social media. No, I believe
9: is there anything on in a paper. Or on social media, you're going to have to tell me about it. Okay. It, it okay. makes my life a lot
8: easier. Okay, I'll do that for you on this one. Okay, so uh, on social media yesterday, there was an individual, and now it's been you know talked about quite a bit, that went through every single game in 2017 and did a full analysis as to how often the trash can was banged, when it was banged, when it wasn't, which players on the Astros, percentage-wise, uh, used that to their advantage specifically. And, and now they're dissecting it to the point, Buck, where – uh, there was a pitcher, I believe, last year, and I, the name escapes me. I believe it was Bolsinger who uh, faced the Astros, gave up four runs. Uh, you know, the trash can was banging, never saw another day in the major leagues. And and to me, that is where it really hits home because you're talking about, you know, you know pitchers who really may only get one opportunity in their lives and then had to deal with that. So that's what hit me. Well, you I think don't. about,
9: and you know, that's what I was talking about, how fragile a non-pitcher psyche is. And I always tell them when they come up, I go, "Guys, don't put this on too high a pedestal. You can do this. It's just the consistency that's needed." And when they get their, you know, the air knocked out of their sails first two outings, and they really start doubting themselves, some don't recover. Some don't recover, and you know that's kind of what I was talking about. It's there's a lot of different facets to this. It's sad, but you know, and I just I don't think uh, simple spring training is gonna gonna
8: solve it. And we want to thank Buck Showalter for coming on Fantasy Sports today. In case you missed it this past Monday, we had Hall of Famer Jack Youngblood on the show talking about the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes, and exactly how he sees the Kansas City Chiefs and what they may do moving forward.
0: The game didn't, I I thought it was going to be, you know, 45, 45, 57 or something, you know, like a basketball game, but it, it, it was much more reserved. Uh, they they weren't running the ball very well, uh, but, but I really appreciated the uh, the the perspective of, of what Mahomes did in that in that fourth quarter. I mean, he just he was he was cool. He didn't get you know uh, he didn't get you know uh, uh, upset with the way the way things were going, and he just said, that, "All right, we're gonna go do this thing. We're gonna win this ball game." And uh, he went down and, and uh, found Kelsey a couple times and, and turned that game around. From a
5: pure talent perspective at the quarterback position, where does Mahomes rank amongst the quarterbacks that you've watched and played against in your life?
0: I'll put it this way: I would not like to have to. I would not like to play against him.
2: <laughs> he,
0: he's a he's a handful. I mean, if he if he if he doesn't beat you with his arm, he'll beat you with his legs. And, and, and I, I love the way he is so cool, and, uh, and it doesn't get, doesn't get rattled by anything out there. I mean, he throws two, two interceptions and comes back on the, the sideline and says, all right, boys, let's, we, let's go. Let's go again. I mean, that, it, that, that shows he's, he's probably the best quarterback on, in the league right now.
8: We're joined by Jack Youngblood, Pro Football Hall of Famer. Uh, Jack, the other thing that transpired uh, last night on the field is something that we don't get to see very often. And, you know, you in my mind, of course, I'm biased because you're a Gator, but you, to me, were one of the best uh, of all time on the defensive side of the field. They did honor the top 100 players in the history of the league at all of their positions. Um, What was it like for you uh, watching that on television, or I don't know if you were at the game, but watching that to see all of those legends on one field last night?
0: That that was uh, that was awfully cool. It really was, uh, and I'm I'm proud of every one of those guys, uh, and they 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 certainly deserve that recognition of being being the foundation of 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 this league.
5: Jack, I wanted to ask you about the 49ers last night. They end their season with four, uh, 61 total sacks, including 13 in the playoffs alone. I mean, here's someone uh, who knows something or, or two about uh, getting sacks and getting after the quarterback. This pass rush and, and this defense for the San Francisco 49ers was spectacular all season long. I wanted to ask you, I mean, where do you think the 49ers go from here? What do they need to improve on? I mean, was it just, you know, that they, they ran into the, the wrong team at the wrong time? Because it seems like they've got everything right now. They seem like a complete team. I'm just wondering, where do do they improve?
0: Well, I, I think they they just need to continue doing what they what they're doing, and and, and crank it up maybe a notch or two. And uh, they, they they've got great talent. That Bo's a, uh kid can. I mean, he comes off the edge, and he's he's a handful over there. Uh, you gotta you gotta put most most of the time you gotta put two people on it, and that uh, that changes the way you control the line of scrimmage. But that's that's what the, the, what's so important about uh, a player like that is that, you know, you, you're you controlling, you're trying to control that line of scrimmage, and that's what they, they, they do it pretty good.
8: Youngblood, also a college football Hall of Fame, of course, attending the University of Florida. And in case you missed it, yesterday on the show, we had former big league catcher J.P. Aaron Sebia used to play for the Toronto Blue Jays and, of course, works for Fox covering the Miami Marlins. We asked him about how the Jays may look in 2020 and also some of the catchers that he likes in the big leagues. J.P. Aaron Sebi is with us. I want to start off with asking you the direction as to where you think the Blue Jays are headed at this point. I think that they obviously are headed you know,
4: up in the sense of what they went out there and did. You can only talk about it for so long as far as you know. we have a plan and, and there's young guys coming up, but at some point, those young guys need to have a team that's going to help them uh, win. They need pitching, and that was the one thing for me that I thought that they had to address In the off season was pitching because as we know it, there's some horses in the AL East. That's a tough division to be in, especially if you're going to try to compete. So I think position player wise, they got young players and they got really really good nucleus. The pitching part was the scary part for me. You go out and get Ryu. I think that's a huge signing. Can he stay healthy? I think that's been an issue with him before. They went out and got Tanner Work, which I think was a they had to overpay him to get him to Toronto. Uh, But he's been you know serviceable starter and so he competes. They. got chase anderson in the trade so they got some guys that i
5: believe that can help them
4: uh win games
8: jpr and cb is with us has there been any talk
5: of jorge alfaro uh, potentially uh, increasing that launch angle heading into 2020 if you
4: were to have that conversation with the player and, and you asked him to the raise his launch angle he'd probably question and go what the heck does that mean in a sense of it's not as much as like hey are you trying to change your launch angle as much as like hey let's get the ball in the air more I think Jorge Alfaro, when he continues to get better and learn, because right now he's still aggressive, but once he starts to have a better game plan and a better approach, because the ability is there. When you hit a ball, I mean, you watch him take batting practice. This guy hits balls as far as anybody could hit a baseball. And so when guys that are that strong, when they miss hit balls, it's still a home run. So when he learns that he can maybe step off the gas a little bit, and have a better plan, and try less in a sense, you'll see a guy like that take off. He was always very good defensively, but he his offensive game sh- took a, a step up, and I think that's something that you can see, and I think that's something Jorge Alfaro can benefit from.
8: JPR and CB is with us. Is there someone that you could throw out there that you think that, hey, this is a kid or someone that I know that I'd really like to see take that next step, or somebody in that upper echelon of catchers?
4: Will Smith. I mean, he... he him up last year and put it on fire and had a great, you know, season. Obviously, Garver has done a great job, but what I like about Will Smith is he's always been, again, a defensive minded catcher, grinded through the minor leagues, and then started figuring out some things offensively, and has taken off, and I think those guys that have to go through that kind of development to become a better hitter, stay better hitters, as opposed to the guy that flies through the minor leagues, offensive minded, gets to the big leagues, and stuff kind of goes out of control, and then they don't know what to do. I think that that's something that benefits Will Smith. And so I I think he is a guy who you have to keep your eyes on.
8: All right, thanks again to J.P. Aaron Sebia. We'll take a quick timeout on Fantasy Sports Today. When we come back next, Matt Modica joins the show, along with Frank Stample. We'll be right back on Fantasy Sports Today after this.
4: Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Frank Stanfield.
5: All right, welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Happy Friday to everybody out there listening. I am Frank Stanfield. Craig Mish out on assignment. But to help me wrap up Hour 2 here on FST, I welcome in Matt Modica. Follow him on Twitter at Ctm Baseball. He writes for The Athletic. He puts out a bunch of great knowledge on Twitter as well. Matt, before we jump into uh, any of your starting pitcher rankings here, I got to ask, is uh, is everything all right? Because I noticed you haven't posted pictures of food in the past three days.
7: I uh, know. Everything's good. I had a nice uh, shrimp parmesan <laughs> platter last night. So all good here. <laughs>
5: For those who follow Matt Modica on Twitter, or if you don't, what the hell are you doing? Follow him on Twitter, at CTM Baseball. Matt likes to post pictures of his phenomenal-looking food uh, very often on Twitter. Uh, so great read, as always. Uh, great tweets for fantasy baseball purposes. Uh, and if you want to get hungry here on a Friday, make sure you follow Matt Modica as well. Uh, Matt, crazy week in baseball, man. we got all these trades going down. Uh, you dropped your uh, your top 36 starting pitcher rankings over at the Athletic earlier in the week as well. Uh, it's just a crazy week here in baseball and fantasy baseball in general, huh?
7: Yeah, no, it's... A- It's a lot of fun. Uh, We're getting closer and closer to March. And, you know, I just couldn't be more excited. Uh, You know, unfortunately, you know, the Mets got to try and sell the team again. But hopefully this time it goes through.
5: Yeah, the good old New York Mets. They found a way to uh, to mess up the sale to Steve Cohen as well. Uh, shout out to the Will Ponds. Uh You guys uh, keep finding ways to ruin the New York Mets. So we'll see what they can do there. Uh, speaking of Mets, Matt, I want to jump right into your top 36 starting pitcher rankings over at The Athletic. I tweeted out the link as well. So if you want to follow along and check out Matt Modica's work, uh, you can find it there over on my Twitter as well. Your SP1. Jacob deGrom of the New York Mets. He's been one of, if not the most, valuable starting pitchers over the past three seasons. Uh, He's won back-to-back Cy Young Awards as well. Uh, And on the other side, we have Garrett Cole for the New York Yankees, the Evil Empire. They uh, They were able to sign him to a massive contract. You have these guys as your SP1 and your SP2, and I have heard you on the record say before that This is a year where you don't mind investing that early first-round pick in a starting pitcher, an ace like a Jacob deGrom or a Garrett Cole. Uh, And I am with you on that because – if you ask me, the hitters that you can grab in rounds two or even rounds three, uh, these are players that we've seen provide first-round value in the past. Uh, JD Martinez, a Bryce Harper, you can get uh, in that range as well. Even Javier Baez, if you want to wait till the third round to get your first hitter, those are all players we've seen provide first-round value uh, from in, in fantasy baseball before. So I am with you. Tell everyone else why uh, you don't mind spending up, paying that price for the Jacob Degrom, the Garrett Cole type ace early in the first round this upcoming season?
7: Well, I mean, I think format really matters, and, you know, that's the first thing you have to accept when you sign up for whatever league you're playing. And with the NFBC, you can alter your KDS. So if I can start with one of these two guys, or even like a a Walker Bueller, if you want to go Verlander, Scherzer, I don't have a problem with that as well, but you're setting up a base of a pretty much an excellent starting pitcher or what we've seen to be an excellent starting pitcher. And then you can fill out your hitting. I think there's a lot more hitting or a lot more reliable hitting. If I was given the option, if I knew that at the end of the third round, say I was on the turn, I would double tap hitters every time if I knew, say, a Lucas Giolito would be there for me. And I would get that guy who I consider is an ace, has arrived, and will repeat last season. So that's the way I look it. I think the most important thing for me is setting up my board pitching wise, and that's why I'm willing to invest heavily.
5: Yeah, I agree uh, 100%. To me, Matt, and I don't know if you feel this way per se, because obviously you mentioned a Walker Bueller, or Mike Clevenger. We'll get into Clevenger a little bit, someone I, who mm-hmm. I know you're very bullish on uh, this upcoming season. But once we get past those top five or six guys, to me, it kind of feels like The pitchers that are going in the round two, round three range, at least in the NFBC according to their ADP, there's a wart with all of them, right? And it seems like they're a little bit overvalued in my opinion. Don't get me wrong. I love Shane Bieber, but it seems like where you have to draft him in that mid-second round, uh, you are asking him to uh, come close or repeat or even be better than what he did last season. When it comes to Strasburg, you have the injury concerns. Blake Snell and Sale. The upside is massive, but you have injury concerns as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why, personally, I like leaning on you know one of those two uh, aces in Garrett Cole and Jacob deGrom. Do you feel the same way? When it comes to you know some of those second and third round starting pitchers, like I like Luis Castillo, I like Patrick Corbin, but it just feels like some of those pitchers going in that range are overvalued this year. Uh, would you agree, disagree, or you know how do you feel about those guys uh, going in that range?
7: Well, I, I think you made some really astute points there. A guy like Blake Snell, I absolutely love. Uh, if you looked for the first couple of months last year through May, he was fantastic skills wise. He was off the charts, uh, and then it all just spiraled out of control there. I mean, that foot issue he had in April, but, I mean, the first two months were really statistically stout, and I really love Snell, but I'd rather have uh, maybe just a little more peace of mind, uh, but I would go to war with him. I think I had him like seventh or eighth, and the whole Chris Sale factor. He's a guy that I, you know, I've always loved. He's been one of my favorite pitchers. But I want to see him on the mound in a game. I I I just he's somebody for me that right now, if you believe in it and you want to take that shot, it's it's a uh, it's a depressed stock that could return you know SP one value. And if he looks really good in spring training, he's going to be right around that first round. He's going to move up uh, significantly.
5: Matt, I mentioned I wanted to ask you about Mike Clevenger here and. Mm -hmm. You have him ranked as your SP four. He's the SP six off the board right now, according to NFBC ADP. But you have him ranked ahead of Justin Verlander, mm-hmm. which might surprise some people coming into the season. So, of course, I've got to pick your brain a little bit uh, about Mike Clevenger. Here's what I'll say: Since 2017, since he's been in the majors, he's got a 2.96 ERA, 1.15 WHIP. So it's hard to argue with that. And then last year, we had a 16 stretch, a uh, 16 start stretch between July and September, where he posted a one seven six ERA, 2.98. XFIP, 102 whip, nearly 12 strikeouts per nine, just around two walks per nine, uh, and the swinging strike rate up around 15%. We know this stuff is amazing, but Matt... Don't you worry somewhat about the durability? He did have the 200 innings pitched uh, two years ago. Last year, right around 125, 130 innings. Do not do you worry at all about the durability? Because he kind of does have like a herky-jerky delivery where he kind of like hunches his back a little bit. Does that worry you at all? It seems like it doesn't because you have him as your SP4, but talk about Mike Clevenger.
7: No, it, it really doesn't because what happened last year was described as a freak injury, something that shouldn't reoccur. And if you were watching him last year, and I really wasn't even a hot, I wasn't the Mike Clevenger guy last year, but watching him, I looked at it as greatness interrupted. I mean, if you look at when he came back, those two starts in June after missing a couple of months, he was throwing 97. Everybody talks about, oh, his velocity went down. If Mike Clevenger fails this year, it's not because he he, he wasn't throwing 97. It was when he was throwing 97 in those two games, he got lit up, up upon his return His swinging strike rate was abysmal. And like I said, the velocity, it's not just velocity. He's a 95-mile-an-hour pitcher, 96-mile-an-hour pitcher last year for the most part. He was never really hitting 97 outside of those couple of games. Uh, And if you look, those two games he came back, and he had four games where he basically allowed 22 runs. In the other 17 starts, he allowed 16 runs. He has the 200 innings. The season prior, I'm a person. Look, Verlander has been great. Scherzer was amazing uh, pre All Star break, and then the injury sabotaged that. I don't have a problem if you're going to go that way. I'm, I'm, uh put it this way, betting on the come or going with the new, uh, the the new frontier. I think both uh, Bueller and Clevenger have four pitch arsenals. They're the future. I think it's their time now. But, you know, I have the other guys five and six. So for me, it's not that big of a deal.
5: Matt Modica going with the youngsters here with Mike Clevenger and Walker Buehler, the next kind of phase of aces here in fantasy baseball. Once again, we're speaking with Matt Modica of The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at CTM Baseball. Matt, you mentioned earlier Lucas Giolito, who you have ranked as your SP12, uh, it, it seems like you're excited about him this upcoming season as well, just based on this ranking. I think this is probably the highest I've seen him ranked. Uh, he's got around an SP14, SP15 uh, ADP, according to the NFBC. Uh, and look, Giolito, we know what the prospect pedigree that he had finally put it together last year. 341 ERA, 357 XFIP, a 106 whip, nearly 12. K's per 9 as well. I think Yasmani Grandal being there, pitch framing will also help Lucas Giolito tremendously this upcoming season. Uh tell us why you don't mind taking Lucas Giolito in that third round range.
7: Actually, I wanted to put him a little higher. Uh look, he made <laughs> he made adjustments last year. He I, he actually went out and changed his arsenal. He said sub- addition by subtraction is a theme that I will consistently, you know, hit upon. And this is what this guy did. He got rid of the subpar pitches, focused and concentrated on the pitches that were beneficial to his game. So he's a guy, I think the skills they showed. He's a guy that had pedigree, made the adjustments. If you look at those last 25 starts, pretty much from like May on, you know, he had the six most strikeouts. He did allow he did have three games where he got lit up, two versus the Cubs, one versus the Twins. But, you know, 34% of his own runs from in, in his last 25 starts. Came in three games. Consistently putting up double-digit strikeouts. I, I really love Giolito this year.
5: I like the volume in the second half as well, Matt. We saw him go at least six innings pitch in 11 of his final 12 starts. So... I'm with you, man. I like Lucas Gilito. This upcoming season, uh, the, the Fangraphs projections hate Gilito this year. I'm not one of those people. I'm on Gilito I'm with Matt Modica this upcoming season. All right, Matt's not going anywhere. When we come back, I'll pick his brain. I'll move a little bit further down his rankings here on Fantasy Sports Today, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
4: Sports Today with Craig Mish and Frank Stanfield.
5: Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Happy Friday everybody. Thank you for tuning in and spending some of your time with us. I am Frank Stanfield. Joined by Matt Modica of The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at CTM Baseball. We ended talking about Lucas Giolito. I've got to go to another guy who I know you love dating back to last year, Matty Mo. He is your Twitter avatar. It is the Sheriff, Chris Paddock. (laughs) Entering his age 24 season, he had a very, very good rookie year. 3.33 ERA, a 0.98 whip last year. Phenomenal fastball changeup combo. And I actually have this written down. So I have like notes for like all of the top 40 starting pitchers right now. Uh, and I have this exact thing uh, written down for Chris Paddock. That if he develops the curveball, quote, it's all over. If he develops that third pitch, it is all over for everyone. Look at what he did last year as a rookie, and that was with a, you know, still, you know, the the curveball is a work in progress. If he continues to develop that pitch, and that's something that you have to watch in spring training if you're paying attention to Chris Paddock this upcoming season. Matt, if he develops that curveball, quote, it is all over in 2020.
7: Uh, Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. Uh, As I put here, you know, the thing that I loved watching him last year – there were a few pitchers more fun to watch, at least. At least I thought. You know, I got up for, and was really honing in on watching. And look, he he knows how to pitch. He, he definitely knows how to use the arsenal. And for a rookie, that's impressive. And the other thing he has is mound presence. Not every pitcher has that or has the confidence that this kid has. And I totally agree. It's that curveball the curveball i put should be on his agenda of things to do it doesn't have to be the greatest pitch out of his out of the uh you know threesome but it does need to improve and if he can refine that in any type of way and make it a more effective pitch uh i think really good things could happen
5: Matt, we spoke about Jacob deGrom and Garrett Cole earlier, kind of married at the hip there in the first round, going in the middle Mm -hmm. of the first round of NFBC drafts. And you have Luis Severino as your SP-17 and Noah Syndergaard as your SP-18. So you have them back-to-back here. And I've kind of coupled them together, too. They're going in that fourth, fifth-round range uh, where, look, If you're buying the bounce back for Noah Syndergaard, the bounce back for Severino, that he can stay healthy. We've seen both of these pitchers pitch at a very, very high level, Matt. And now you're getting them at a suppressed cost this upcoming season. How I have personally been attacking pitching is, like I've mentioned, I don't mind taking a Bueller or a a Clevenger in that early second round range. But once those guys are gone... I think that the round two, round three pitchers are a little bit overvalued this year. What I've been doing is I like taking that ace in the first, and then I like coming back in that round four, round five range and taking one of Severino uh, and Syndergaard. So, you know, for people that might be a little cautious heading into this season with both Severino and Noah Sinnergard what would you say to those people regarding these two starting pitchers?
7: Uh, first, we'll hit Severino. Look, I think this is a tremendously talented pitcher, uh, we haven't really – we saw him, We saw a, a glimpse of him last season. It was pretty much a wash. Uh, but, look, the, the, just the team concept alone is really good for him. And everybody has that bad taste of the second half of 2018, which the skills were still there. It was more home run-induced, you know, extreme, BABIP, and left-on-base percentage. So I think he's going to move up towards – They'll probably even move up my board. I really wanted to put him higher, but you know it gets kind of tough. But if I have somebody at 17 and somebody at 14, it means I really like those guys. So I don't, I, don't, I didn't want to even put numbers. I don't even like doing rankings, but you know you, you got to do it. As far as Syndergaard goes, look at what he's done every year. Last year, yes, the ERA 4.28, major disappointment. The FIP and xFIP say he was better. He was better up until what it was like, August 22nd, where he gave up 10 runs and the rest of the season was just garbage. But this is a guy that has produced, you know, for the most part, the innings pitched has been the question. He gave you that last year. And similar to Garrett Cole's ascension as a starting pitcher, if you look at their first five seasons, I put it in my uh, starting pitcher preview article, it's really similar. Syndergaard had a, had a better strikeout rate at the time. I mean, it was two years ago. There wasn't everybody out there saying Garrett Cole was going to be the greatest pitcher in baseball. Uh, I mean, I was on him a couple of years ago. I'll, I'll 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 shout out a humble brag on that. But I didn't even think he'd be the best pitcher in baseball. But he had that pedigree. So I think Syndergaard needs a little tinker here and there. One simple adjustment can go a long way. But the talent we all know resides in him.
5: Matt Modica giving himself a little pat on the back for the Garrett Cole, and I'll give Matt Modica <laughs> a pat on, the, uh, pat on the back every single day of the week because this guy just finds starting pitcher gems year in and year out. I remember it was like three, four years ago, you were all over James Paxton for the breakout. Uh, then you were all over Aaron Nola. Last year you had a ton of Chris Paddock as well. So now I think people are trying to figure out who's that guy that can like severely outperform uh, his ADP right now. And based on your rankings – That player is Max Freed because you have Max Freed as your SP24 over at the Athletic. Again, people can find Matt Modica's work there, and you can find uh, Matt Modica's top 36 starting pitcher rankings. You have Max Freed as your SP24. Is he that guy? Is he like that next breakout Uh, style uh, starting pitcher here in 2020. We know the curveball is great. Started using the slider more last year as well. Uh, And Greg Sussman will always bring this up. They asked Freddie Freeman last year during spring training about Max Freed and he said, quote, that he was the best starting pitcher in the organization. Do you feel that way about Max Freed? Tell us why you like him so much and why you have him ranked this high heading into 2020.
7: Yeah, just to piggyback off of that, Brian McCann was asked about Max Freed uh, at the end of spring training, and he said he's the real deal and all that. And like I said, this kid made an adjustment in the second half. He's got a full season as a starter under his belt. He had a couple of cups of coffee previously. Uh, he was another kid with, with a ton of pedigree. What he did in those last nine starts, it's a small sample. I understand that. But he elevated that slider usage to 20%. Uh, over that time, he incorporated a sink into the game as well. Uh, you know, the curve could play off it better. You know, the, the, the foreseen was, was getting a little whacked around, let's be honest. But he did have, you know, in those last nine starts, a 29% strike percentage. Uh, you know, the XFIP was below three. Sierra was uh, 340. You know, the indicators like the swinging strike percentage was 13%. This is a good team, the Braves. They have good middle and field. And I don't understand how NCRK is not the center fielder with Ozuna and Acuna on the corners, especially if you're going to have to roll out Ozuna to play the outfield. It seems imperative to me that NCRK would roam center field. So I want to be involved in, in the Braves stack. I really like Freed. I really like uh, Soroka. I know a lot of people are shitting on him, but I'm, I, I think he's a very good pitcher. He's uh 21 years old, and old man Cole Hamels, he had that second half where he came back, it seemed too early, he was god-awful. But, you know, the previous calendar year before that, he pitched pretty well, and I think he'll be good.
5: Once again, we're speaking with Matt Modica over from the athletic Follow him on Twitter at CTN baseball. All right, Matt, the last question that I want to ask you about is two very polarizing starting pitchers. I'm trying to figure out what to do with these guys this upcoming season. So of course I've got to pick your brain and figure out what you're doing with these guys, uh, in 2020, Carlos Carrasco, obviously returning to the mound last year after leukemia. I mean, it's just an incredible story, but if we're being honest, I don't really know how to project him coming up, uh, to, uh, coming into this upcoming season in 2020. Uh, and another one is Corey Kluber, former Cleveland Indian, who moves over to the Texas Rangers. They basically gave him away for, for nothing. It seems like it was a salary dump there uh, with Corey Kluber. Uh, but even before we saw him got, get hurt last year, I can't ignore the stats. I mean, he was god-awful. So what are you doing with both Carrasco and Corey Kluber in 2020
7: here, Matt? Well, I mean, for me, Carrasco is just about health. If, he, if he's fully cured and we have no health concerns, He's gonna move up, uh, you know, pitching in the AL Central. is Another reason why I really like Lucas Giolito. You know, uh, if you're on the Twins or the White Sox, those are the more potent offenses, and Cleveland's got a good team. But you got a couple of teams that are just dead in the water there. So uh, Carrasco is a guy I do think you'll see a course correction on. Kluber is the more curious case for me because I was avoiding him last year. It's very tough, though, still to dismiss his, his uh, track record, what he's been able to do. I do think, though, Texas isn't going to be as bad as it once previously was for starting pitchers. Uh, so right now I'm kind of staying away from Kluber, but if you want to buy him, now is the time. It's a, it's a, actually a really good price. Pick 100. And one other thing I'll just throw in, I, I would take Lance Lynn over him. I have them one spot ahead. But I really wanted to put Lance Lynn even higher. Uh, I do like what he did last year. I think his arsenal uh, uh, adjustments are well noted, and I, I'm a believer.
5: Speaking of Lance Lynn, I saw that you used one of my tweets in your article, Matt. So uh, thank you for uh, for promoting my Lance Lynn tweet uh, in your article. Once again, that's Matt Modica. Matt, uh, when do you have the next installment of your starting pitcher rankings coming out for The Athletic?
7: Uh, that'll be for Monday. It'll be another 36 arms. I'm more about rotation construction over rankings, as I said before. If the guy's 14th or 17th, I kind of like both guys a lot. Same as if they're 25th to 28th. So for me, if, after the top 36, you got to start putting the pieces in those high upside arms versus the stable veterans that give you the you know innings every year. So that's how I try and do it.
5: Matt, I know that you're a food enthusiast. What do we got coming up for lunch, for dinner? We got anything good? We're going to get any pictures today?
7: Uh, Maybe. I'll be in Staten Island tonight, so there's always some good food there.
5: (laughs) All right, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to some more pictures of Matt Modica's food over on Twitter. Make sure you follow him at Baseball. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Can't thank you enough. Uh, Great information here. From Matt Modica's top 36 starting pitcher rankings. Uh, when we come back on Monday, myself and Craig Mish will be back together. Pitchers and catchers will be reporting. Spring training is getting close as well. Up next, you have wager talk with Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels. It's Friday. You can catch me on the BFS at 3 p.m. later today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Here on the Fantasy the Sports Sailors Radio. Is the-